So we are, um, we do our Bible Institute on Wednesday nights now, and uh, we do have our Bible Institute. You are, it's open to all of you, obviously you're here on Wednesday night, but you can also take it courses for credit. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree with us. It's all free. There's 104 courses available online. Actually, we added to that. I keep saying 104. We added another five or six recently, so probably 110 now. 110 courses, and uh, you'll take 40 of them, and you can get a bachelor's degree. Take 20, you can get an associate's degree. We had, I misquoted last week, we have 639 students as of today that are enrolled from all over the world, and it's kind of fascinating to watch them come in and get involved and study and learn and ask questions and all those things. But we're taking some courses, and we're working through them on Wednesday nights. Right now, we're doing a New Testament survey. Uh, A Bible survey is very helpful. so it's not really like, uh, you know, we spent eight years doing verse-by-verse stuff, working through the text. We're, we're doing a little different now to get some uh, framework. So a survey is, um, we'll, we'll take sort of passages here and there throughout the um, New Testament, and we'll talk about them in order. And we're working through Matthew right now, uh, and um, we're, we're going to look and from Matthew 13 today down to, uh, we'll see how far I can get, Matthew probably 16, 17, somewhere in there. And... Uh, there were bulletins back there on the way in. If you grab one, I want to start in Matthew 13 by talking about the parables and uh, what's going on with the parables. So let me read to you from Matthew 13, 10 through 17. If you have the sheets, they're there. They're not going to pop up on the screen, the verses. So there's Bibles in the rows if you want to follow along, or you can just listen to me read to you. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So um, Jesus is explaining why he uses parables. And uh, the the use of parables, Jesus used parables frequently uh, as a way to illustrate profound divine truths. And the, the, the thing was, it was a teaching tactic where you had to press in in order to get the meaning. And it was a very powerful thing because if you have to think about something that's being said, you, you tend to hang on to it. If things are just being said and you don't have to think about them, you'll dismiss them pretty quickly. You don't retain a lot of that information. But when you read the parables and you study the parables, you find out that that um, y- y- it will hold on as a truth a lot more. You'll, you'll take it in. And so um, this this first parable we're going to look at, it's a parable of the seed and the soils. And, and he's going to um, share that parable. It actually preceded the verse that I read to you. And the, and the, the disciples are going to say, why do you teach in parables? And he's going to explain that in the process of what's going on in the whole thing. And so let's look at the parable, and then we'll, we'll dig in from there. Verse 3 of Matthew 13, 
Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was uh, shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times that was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's how Jesus was telling the story. And then his disciples kind of said, why are you doing that? You have this big crowds of people coming along, and they're not understanding what's what's taking place. And Jesus' whole thing was, if they press in, if they really want to hear, their eyes will be open and they'll see. But remember, a lot of the people that were following Jesus really didn't want to listen to what he had to say. Um, A lot of them were following along, a lot of the Pharisees and everything, trying to catch him and things that he was saying. A lot of other people were just along for the ride, and it was like something to do. But, But Jesus is saying, the people who really want to know what it's like to be in relationship with me and what that looks like, We'll, we'll have a level of understanding of this, and they'll, they'll grasp it. So he goes and begins to explain to them so they get the idea. And this is verse 18 through 23. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is a man who hears the word and at once restores it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So the parable of the sower concerns a sower who's, who scatters seed, and the seed falls on four different types of soil. This would have been how farming was done. It wasn't as exact. It would be land that they could work on, and they would just throw a lot of seed out, and some of it would fall on, on and so it would land in different soils is the idea. Um, the stuff that fell on the hard ground, the, the, sp- the seed couldn't sprout at all, and so it was basically just bird food. And um, and so that, that was happening. The stony ground, there was enough soil for the seed to germinate, begin to grow, but there was no, of the, no depth to the earth that couldn't grow, take root and go. Thorny ground allows the seeds to grow, but the competing thorns choke the life out of the beneficial plants. And the good ground receives the seed and produces much fruit. And what he's saying is he's comparing those soils to responses to the gospel or the good news. And the seed is the word of the kingdom. Um, the hard ground represents someone who's just so hardened by sin that, that he hears but doesn't understand the word. And the enemy just plucks it away, uh, keeping his heart dull and preventing the word from making an impression. And remember, that's the enemy's tactic is he's trying to keep people in darkness. That's what he's about. Remember, we, we talk about this all the time. The, the enemy tries to keep people from coming to know the truth and coming to know the light. And he uses a, a, a wealth of tricks and traps and deceptions to keep people hardened in their hearts. And so he's hard at work doing that. The, another seed um, uh, is, a, you know, the stony ground. It's someone who pr- professes delight in the Word, um, but his heart isn't changed. And so trouble arises and he quickly sort of wanders off. The thorny ground is someone who seems to get it, but um, their their heart is still sort of filled with worldly things, 
and the, the worries of this world choke it out so it can't uh, take off and thrive. And the good soil is someone who understands and receives a word and, and then allows the word to accomplish um, uh, uh, the result of, of full and abundant life in their hearts. And so Jesus is explaining this. Now, sometimes people say, well, why was he explaining it to disciples? And why do we have it in the scripture? The thing is, when you begin to realize that, that to really sort of understand Jesus, it's a constant pressing into him throughout our lives. That's why I'm always encouraging you to read the Bible. And, and, and one, one through isn't enough. It's a constant. You should, as a believer, you're constantly reading it because the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal what's going on in there as you press in. And you will learn throughout your days as a believer, if you're open to it, the, the things of the Lord. I, I hope you all are still learning. I'm still learning as I read the Scripture. New things will pop up to me um, in the Scripture that I hadn't seen before. I'm, I'm doing that all the time with, with passages that I've read multiple, multiple times. And all of a sudden, the Spirit will illuminate something to me I hadn't seen before. And, and it's, you know, because I'm ready to get it now, I guess. And, and so this is the course of our lives. Uh, the truth never changes, uh, but, but we, we just are able to understand it more as it happens as we continue to press in. That's why we're always saying it's important to read and to study and to learn and to grow and to meditate and do all those things on the Word. And so he begins to explain. So his disciples from very early on learn not to just be satisfied with the surface of things, but to continually press in. Because Jesus would say a lot of things they didn't understand. And sometimes they wouldn't ask him because they, they felt like they should understand. If you read the Scripture, you'll see that sometimes. And Jesus will actually look at him and say, do you understand that? And they'll go, oh yeah, we got that. And they don't have a clue. You can tell they don't have a clue. But they, so, but they think they should by then. And you know how people get. They don't want to keep asking questions. But he encourages us to press in to continue to learn. Jesus tells him another parable, 24. The kingdom of heaven... It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Oh, an enemy did this, he replied. And the servant said, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he gets a break from the crowd, verse 36, and the disciples are like, yeah, we don't understand. So he explains it to them. Verse 36, he left the crowd, went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the son of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed uh, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Uh, They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear." So um, he, he explains that fairly well, uh, obviously, to his disciples. But it's important, I, I hear this sometimes not sort of explained the way that Jesus explains it, um, uh, because a lot of times people will try and use this thing as sort of a condition of the church, that inside the church there's believers and non-believers, and, um, which might be very true, but that's not what this parable is all about, because it clearly says that the field is the world. And, the, and, and so... Uh, 
what they're talking about there is the overall ideal that the, the way that we engage in the kingdom and forever is in, in Christ. And if we, if we don't know Christ, it, it doesn't have a good result. And uh, that's why our, our hearts are always about trying to help people come to know Jesus and in the whole process so that they can have life forever. Um, and so we're in that process. And we spent that whole last series talking about this age and the age to come. And we know when Jesus comes back, the second time, that's what's happening. Uh, the mustard seed and the yeast, 31 through 35, he tells him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told him still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So what was fulfilled, what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So the parable of the mustard seed um, is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And um, it's a picture of the humble beginnings of uh, the church uh, in, in, you know, as, as Jesus comes and inaugurates the kingdom. And um, uh, what happens is uh, it, the, it's a, the church experiences this amazing growth uh, that's just wild, and uh, it becomes large and, and uh, you know, like the mustard tree, and it's like a source of food and rest and shelter, and um, birds come in it, and he's saying, you know, in the, there's going to be believers and unbelievers in the process, and, and so we need to know the difference of what's going on, but it's a picture of the, the expansion of the kingdom uh, since the time of Jesus. Leaven uh, or yeast uh, it's sort of a picture that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of dough. And um, and so, you know, when you mix yeast or leaven into a dough, eventually the whole thing is leavened. And there's some ideas behind that, that the kingdom has small beginnings, but it will increase, which it's done. Uh, and, and yeast is microscopic in size, yet only a little bit is needed in the dough. Uh, over time, that yeast will spread throughout the dough and so Jesus, the kingdom starts with just 12 folks uh, in a very small corner of Galilee, but it had spread throughout the world. The gospel continues to make progress. Um, the kingdom exerts influence from within, not without. Uh, so, you know, yeast makes dough rise from within. God changes the heart of people, and that internal change has an external manifestation over time. So that's the you know, the amazing thing about being in a relationship in the, with Jesus in the kingdom is that he changes us from the inside out. Um, lots of other things are about changing outward stuff, but never changing inwardly. We change from the inside out. Um, and the gospel influence in the culture is the same way, inside out, slowly transforming culture from within, but that's a constant process. Um, just as, as yeast works through the whole door, ultimately the, the kingdom will spread everywhere um, uh, in, in the process, and uh, uh, yeast does its job slowly, silently, but no one can deny the effect on the bread. And so the kingdom is the same way. It has a definite impact on the world. Even in the craziness of the world, the kingdom of God is still having a tremendous impact. And no, just because our culture um, seems maybe to to be moving in a not the best direction as it relates to the kingdom of God currently. 
many places throughout the world are having rapid expansion in the church, and it's on fire all over the world. And so, and also remember that things can change just like that. Revival can break out. So never lose hope for that. An entire nation can be changed virtually overnight when revival takes place. And it's happened throughout history. So I always think like that. We pray for that all the time. We pray for renewal, revival, and breakthrough all the time because I believe it can happen. And, and so things might be looking like they're heading in one direction, but a move of God can change everything just like that. And God's in that business. God's, God's in the miracle. I was, I was talking with Craig and his family this morning, and we were sitting around talking about right after the storm. And... Um, you know, you know, I've told you I would rather have not gone through the hurricane. I don't know about you, but I, I'm. But at the same time, it, there were so many things that happened that that you you may I may not have experienced that way. And so I can look back and see how God used things. Remember, uh, we did a study not that long ago, and I was talking about how in the book of Job, God spoke to Job out of a whirlwind. I said, I get that, and. Uh, um, because he was it's certainly speaking to us, but we were talking about how things would happen. Those guys showed up, you know, and and uh, and, and, and Craig had met some people because you know our people had gone to him, to a couple, and so he called us. And helicopter had been offered to him, and he came down, and he knew some folks that knew some folks that brought some of those other churches around, and and all of a sudden, you know, supplies started to show up. And um, I, I think I told most of you the story, but Craig and I were talking. It was it was getting it was growing rapidly. What was happening here? And I said to him, listen, we, we just got to figure out how to get this thing organized. We, we, we need to take this thing like to the next level. And a minute later, a guy walks in in a t-shirt that says next level. Three guys. And, and his, his, the guy's name was Will. And he actually said, hey, I've come to you to help you get organized. So how does that stuff happen, right? If God's not involved. That literally, and I was just talking. He just called me the other day to see how things are going. I just had a long talk with him too. Uh, he gave us his one little form that we used, and without that form, I don't know if we'd have thought about it. There's too many things happening. You think, well, everybody would figure that out. We, and we started taking people's information down that needed help on these forms, and, and I was telling Will, because he couldn't believe it, I said, so we started taking those forms, and people kept coming to volunteer, and I was sending them out with these forms, and, and the, so, you know, there was a storm, and there was a, a couple of weeks to get going, and then a Saturday came, and there was like 100 volunteers showed up that one Saturday. It was huge for us, and, but I had them in the forms. The following Saturday, 400 volunteers showed up. 400 volunteers. So they were, they, it was ridiculous, right? And, and they all want to go somewhere and help somebody. 400 is a lot of folks, right? The room was packed with people trying to get them out of here. And I had these forms. And I just started handing these groups these forms. You know, there was so, everybody, all those 400 people had something to do that day. Lots of things and accomplished a lot. Couldn't have done it without the form. Wouldn't have had the form if Will hadn't shown up. Now, none of that would have happened if these guys hadn't flown down and start. It's just crazy how that happens. He was, he had dinner, they, that family had dinner with um, uh, this young woman named Brady and her husband. And I don't know if you remember Brady. Some of you know her, some of you don't. She comes when she can. She lives in Key West. But she showed up and she spent six weeks here every day organizing Vine Mart. Can you imagine that? She came every day. Vine Mart was that big thing that we had going on. And when she first showed up, she just said to me, I'm here to volunteer. What do you want me to do? I said, could you just, because we had tables that were ever expanding with stuff on them. Could you just take it all and make it match on every table? Okay. And that's what she did for six weeks. God does that stuff. Anyway, um, God's doing all sorts of things. And so, so, so even in culturally, when we're looking at things, 
Never get overly dismayed. Things can change in a moment. And I always pray that they do. I'm praying that, yeah, I pray that way. I, I pray that there would be such a major move on people that they would be changed forever and it would change the, the nation overnight. Okay, he does another parable. The treasure hidden in a field, the pearl of great price. One of my favorite parables. This is a uh, parallel because it's, it's this same passage but two ideas that present the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, knowing Jesus, it's like a treasure hidden in a field, and what he's saying, when you find it, it's worth everything because you found what's most important. Same thing is like with a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds that one pearl, he knows... And So a pearl merchant knows pearls, right? When he finds that one, he gets rid of everything else. That's the one. His search is over. He's done. He's found the pearl of great price. He's found it all. And again, it's a, it's a picture of coming to know Jesus. But the other thing I like about that, para, that parable is you can flip-flop that one. So it's, it's obviously it's about Jesus... But it's a parable, so parables have other stuff going on. Jesus did that on purpose. And, and uh, I would say to you that he's referring to what the kingdom is like. And, uh, and, and the treasure hidden in the field, um, it, it, it can be you as well. And Jesus is the one who thinks that you're his treasure and you're worth everything and he pays the price for it. Same thing, that you're, you're precious like a pearl and... and and when he found you, he, he, he wanted you. And so he made it possible by giving his life for you. And so um, it's a very poignant picture of that parable in the process. And there's a parable of the net that goes on. But by now you should figure out parables and you can read that one. Okay, so because now you know all you need to know about parables. Matthew 14, the, it records the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which is a, a really cool miracle. And... Uh, Let me read it, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And they answered, bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And they gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So, um... The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that, um, besides the resurrection, that makes all four Gospels. And so they obviously realized it was a pretty important miracle. Part of me thinks it's because of this. If you... So uh, the disciples saw what was happening. See, they knew what they started with. So you have to imagine how they went into this thing, right? So, and the whole thing was, they went to Jesus and said, send all these folks away because they were hungry. And they had found enough bread and fish for fish sandwiches for the 12 of them and for Jesus. And I always hope they had enough sandwich left over from the boy they took it all from. And uh, 
So I'm thinking in my mind, there's enough food there for 14 fish sandwiches. They figured it out. They're hungry. They've been ministering all day. And they say to Jesus, send all these people away. We can't eat in front of them. We're starving. You've been doing this all day. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they're like, we got 14 fish sandwiches in effect. And there's 5,000 men here, women and children on top of that, 10, 15,000 people. And, and Jesus says, go ahead. And so they get, see, the thing is, though, even though they have no idea how it's going to happen, what they do is they give what they have to Jesus. So you, you never know what happens when you give what you have to Jesus when he asks for it. And, and so my thinking is, so Jesus sits down and he blesses this, and he starts handing it to the disciples to hand out to people, and the people are sitting down in groups all over. And the disciples are like, well, this isn't going to take long. <laughs> Done. So he gives them, and they go out, and it feeds a group of 50, right? They're sitting in 50s. And they, they only thought there was enough for 40. And they're going out separately, and each one is going out to a group of 50. And they all had something to eat. And so they go back, and Jesus does it again. Can you imagine what they were thinking? How? Just try and think of it. What they were, let it process what they were thinking. And so they're overwhelmed. And then at the very end of it, when they're done, everybody's eating. Thousands and thousands and thousands of eaten off of this. They're, and they're satisfied. They're not just all got a little nothing. They're satisfied. They pick up what's left. I love what's left. Twelve basketfuls. Why is that important? Those twelve guys gave up their sandwich. What did they get back? Basketfuls. So, so it's very powerful when it happens in the process. And so it's this huge miracle. Right after it, there's another big miracle. Jesus walks on the water. Um, verses 22 through 23. So right after they feed everybody, Jesus makes the disciples get in a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. After he dismissed him, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. As a ghost, they said, cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter says, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down on the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Now that, and that miracle makes it into three of the Gospels. But here's the thing. So the feeding of the 5,000 really had their attention, but the walking on water caused them to say, truly, you are the Son of God. There was something about that that put them right over the top. You know, you think you would have bought in with the take, taking the fish sandwiches might have been enough, but we always like a little bit more. That sealed the deal for them. They, they, he walked on the water out to the boat. And Peter actually walked on the water for a little bit until he took his eyes off of Jesus. Then he sank like a rock. So that's cool. That's enough. We're going to finish the rest of that when I get back because that's a, that's a whole lot of stuff. And I could keep going and there's way more notes on the page that I gave out, but I'm going to stop because people are yawning. <laughs> so let's finish it there. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Uh, I'd love for you to come and be a part. And uh, um, we're praying for you guys. God bless you. Have a great night. Bye.